Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Governor Gretchen Whitmer grew up in Michigan with dreams of becoming a sports broadcaster on ESPN. But after her father convinced her to learn more about her state house and she took an internship at the Michigan State Capitol, she redirected her focus to politics. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Governor Gretchen Whitmer recalls her perspective on the 2020 presidential election results, what she believes was the best thing to do during the COVID pandemic, and how she and her family are coping after the conservative extremist kidnapping plot went public. This episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast was recorded in December of 2020. Governor, how are you today? You know what? My phrase for 2020 is I'm hanging in there. How are you? I am good. You know, you know what? That is such a weird question to ask these days because you do wonder what is the right answer to give. Uh, you and I are reflexively built to say good, but you know that that's not always the full story. And so have, have you found any, any small or big things that have given you more peace or less peace than, uh, than you otherwise would normally have? Are you a meditator or swimming or something interesting that's helping you? Yeah. So, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, it, my daughters took up baking and I was eating my feelings and that's not a good long-term <laughs> strategy. So um, I actually... I've got a, a good exercise routine. I get up a little bit before five every morning and is honestly, it's my favorite time of day because no one else is up and I can do, you know, my, my drink coffee, drinking a little bit of meditation, do some exercise before the whole rest of the world's even stirring. So how about you? What's your strategy? You know, I wish I could say I get up before five, but, I, uh, but I'm, a, I'm a stationary bike rider. I know that sounds boring as spit, but it has turned out to be one of the best possible things because you can do it anywhere. You can do it for a half hour. You can do it for an hour. You can do it for 15 minutes. And that's turned out for a guy with kind of shaky knees. That's turned out to be a good thing. So that's been my... Uh, yeah. Um, do you know. have like a, like a Peloton or something or... Do you know what? I, I got lucky and we have a Peloton, but to be honest with you, I still use a $100 bike that I bought from Kmart. That's the bike that I ride every day. That's been way better. I like it. You know, I don't know what to say. I like the simple stuff. <laughs> Whatever works. 
<laughs> that's that's all that matters is that it works for you. So that's great. Yeah, very much so. So now I I I assume that you were born and raised in Michigan, not just raised in Michigan. Is that is that right? That's true. Yes, I am a Michigander every almost every minute of my life. And and, and where was your family from originally? Have they is this multiple generations or did they come to Michigan from another part of the country or the world? So um, they're on one side of the family. It's like five generations of Michiganders, and on the other, they are reformed Buckeyes who came from Ohio up to Michigan. <laughs> oh my! So I was born in Cleveland. See, I wasn't going to tell you that I. I lived in Kalamazoo a little bit as a kid, and I loved Detroit. My favorite Uncle Phil, may he rest in peace, uh, lived in Detroit, was a teacher and principal in Detroit, so I'd spent a lot of time uh, with him there. But I'm, I'm definitely, I was born in Cleveland, so I'm, I'm on the other side of that game. Um, uh, but, uh, but, I, but I like your coach, even though he's struggling right now. I like, uh, although he's not your coach because you're, you're Sparty. You're, you're, not, right. you're not a Wolverine, right? Yeah, I'm a Spartan, and yeah. my coach uh, beat Michigan this year, Mel Tucker. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but my, my daughter goes to University of Michigan. So, you know, I, the only time we, we don't see eye to eye is one Saturday every fall. Now, how much of a sports fan are you? I'm hearing you talk like a real sports fan. Are you a... Uh, are, are you a little bit of a, a sports junkie? Oh, yeah. I went to Michigan State thinking that I was going to be a sports broadcaster. was my first love. Um, and Come on. I worked for the football office. Um, I also did an internship downtown at the Capitol, and that's when I fell in love with public policy. So it kind of changed my trajectory. But, yeah, I love sports. So you're saying otherwise I would have been looking at uh, Stuart Scott, may he rest in peace, Robin Roberts, or – any of the other great uh, sports broadcasters who've come along. That's right. Robin Roberts was one of the first women. And, you know, when I was thinking about becoming a sports broadcaster, there weren't, there weren't any women on ESPN. So it was kind of a, a neat, um, you know, challenge that I had kind of set out for myself. Now, now, what about politics? Did that come to you easily? Do you come from a political family so that you always loved politics and policy? Or was it an acquired taste for you? I think like lots of children, I was repelled by what my parents did. So both my parents are lawyers. Uh, my dad worked in a Republican uh, administration. My mother worked in a Democratic administration. And so I went to school to become a sports broadcaster. And eventually, I too became a lawyer and, <laughs> and then ended up running for office. So <laughs> I don't, you know, I think that's maybe it happens in a lot of households. You, you don't necessarily think you're going to walk down the same path your parents do and and then eventually maybe you come to terms with the fact that it's in the blood. Now that you have the benefit of retrospect, were, were, were you a likely governor uh, and a likely winner in 2018 or was that a little bit of a surprise and upset? Give me Give me the narrative on that, how you see it now with the benefit of hindsight. So Michigan's a state that tends to go back and forth. We have eight years of a Republican governor and then eight years of a Democratic governor and then eight years. And, and we, we tend to do that. We were just coming off of eight years of a Republican governor. Um, and I think with the Flint water crisis and a lot of the stuff that um, happened during that eight years, I think people assumed that the next one might be a, a, a Democratic governor, but nothing in Michigan you know, it, elections matter, as the whole world knows now, right, after this presidential election. And so um, I ran, uh, the, I got in the race really early, not knowing who else may or may not get in. Um, and it was a, a pretty crowded primary field. 
I won all 83 counties, which was a surprise, surprise to me, um, but it was a, a first time anyone's ever done that. And then um, winning the general election by almost 10 points. And I look back on it and I, we held a lead throughout, uh, through all the polling, but I think we were also nervous about polling because of what happened in 2016. Um, and so uh, I, I'm a candidate who always runs like I'm behind. And I think that's what um, smart, <laughs> humble candidates do. And, and what would you say if you were teaching a class at Michigan State on politics and running for office and you weren't being modest at all, but you were really trying to help the next generation of people who were thinking about running for the first time, why did you win? Like, like, like break it down as dispassionately as you can. Why do you think you won? Because you know it's not easy. It's not easy, in a, it's not easy to win the primary. It's not easy to win the general in a swing state. What, why did you win? You know, no one works harder than I do, and and that's just the bottom line, and and that's a real asset in in campaigns. It's it's hard in 2020. I had a lot of conversations with Joe Biden over the course of this last year, and I think not being able to be out and amongst the people is really hard for people like him or people like me or people like Kamala Harris and uh, you know anyone who runs for these offices usually does it because they love people. Um, and, and being amongst the people is where you find out what's in their hearts, what's in their fears, what you need to work on um, on their behalf. And so I, I just worked so hard. And I had a moment where there was rumors of a number of other people jumping in my race. And I, of course, didn't want that to happen. And I was talking with a friend of mine, and um, she's a high office holder here in Michigan, and I said, well, you know, the rumor is that this person's going to get in. And she, her advice to me was just put your head down and do the work. You can't control what anyone else does. All you can control is what you do. And if you show up every day and give it everything you have, um, that's going to scare, scare people off. And, and, and that was really good advice. Do you know, there is something, it's funny, Governor, as I sit here and talk to you, there's something familiar. I, I, as I said, I um, uh, spent some time in Kalamazoo as a kid. My two little sisters were born there. Favorite uncle and aunt were in Detroit. We're school teachers, principals. I spent a bunch of time with folks there. I've got good friends at GM and at Ally Financial and at other places, so lots of friends around the state. And there's something, if I may say so, about Michigan women that I think is somehow distinctive. There's a level of confidence, put your head down, we're going to get to the work, we're going to make it happen. And, and, and I've talked to Governor Granholm before and others. Is there something distinctive there as you have met with other uh, political leaders around the country? Is there something about women in Michigan? I don't want to put a false narrative out there that's not there, but it does feel like as I spend time with you, like I feel something feels uh, like I've come across it before and that it's unique and it's valuable. I, I is there something you think about Michigan women and leadership? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think that because we've had so many women who have held um, important offices in Michigan, that it's really made it um, less unique and, and taken the mystique out of that and broken that glass ceiling and given more of us the ability to see ourselves in positions of leadership. And so maybe confidence comes with, with being able to see that this is a real path. You know, Jennifer Granholm was our first governor. I'm the second woman governor in Michigan. But when I won, um, our attorney general, uh, Dana Nessel, the first openly gay person, period, but also female, uh, won the attorney general's race. Jocelyn Benson won the secretary of state's race. And Debbie Stabenow was reelected our U.S. senator. And each one of us had been told, 
That's too many women on the ballot. You can't win with that many women on the ballot. And every one of us just kind of grit our teeth and did the work and, um, you know, earned these, these opportunities and these spots. And I think with that maybe comes some level of, of you know, confidence that, that maybe is unique. You, you know, it's interesting. I think the biggest surprises for me in the 2020 election, as someone who's covered campaigns a lot, spent a lot of time getting to know people like yourself who are in leadership roles, I would say was the outcome in Florida. I think the Republicans won Florida, my home state, by more than I expected, and Michigan. I feel like uh, Biden won that more clearly than I somehow expected. Were you surprised by the outcome? I know the right answer is no, I wasn't, that I worked hard for it. But no, but genuinely, as someone who knows how topsy-turvy things can be and know that surprises can happen, were you surprised that uh, uh, that the president-elect won Michigan in the fashion that he did? You know, I was, I was very glad for it, of course. Um, and like I said, I take every election seriously, and I think all candidates need to run as though they're behind. Um, and so Joe Biden ran that way. He knew that you couldn't make any assumptions about Michigan. He and Barack Obama were here just days before the election. Kamala Harris was here on election day. They made Michigan a priority, and I think it shows in, in the outcome. They certainly were in Florida, too. And so I think there's some unique things that were happening here. Number one, it does matter who governors are. I hope that people see in 2020 that who the governor is of a state really matters. Um, Democrats flipped Nevada. We flipped Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin. We flipped Michigan in 2018. Those are all states that people saw competent Democratic leadership and uh, turned out for Joe Biden as well. And so I, I do think that um, there's, there's something more there as well. Look forward for me, uh, Governor Whitmer, because I often say to my team that I think the 2020s are going to be the new 60s, that I think the tumult that we've seen in the last year or four years is not over. It's just beginning. And I think for a lot of reasons, we are going to grapple as a country and as a world with all the big issues in a way that we haven't since the 60s. So love, war, capitalism, race, gender, tech, in this case, robots. I think all of that Gen Z and millennials will insist on their own say, and they won't simply say, mom wants work to be this way, or mom thinks this is how I should think about love or race or gender. If that's true, what would you love to see the Biden administration get done in its first year and maybe in its four years? Like, What would really, in your mind, be impactful and valuable? Well, as I think about future generations, you know, there are a couple of things that come front and center for me, and, and that's both as a mom, but also as a governor of, of this state. You know, uh, what is happening with regard to climate change is, is absolutely essential that the United States take a leadership role. Um, it is undeniable that we as a country need to focus on respect and follow the science. And if we haven't learned that in 2020, um, you know, we've got a lot more to learn. And I think that it's really important that that guides our policy and our practices and our innovation as we move forward as a country, because we want to lead the world in all things. Um, and then I also think our education system, uh, you know, I, there is a, a major gap in this country, an opportunity gap, a wealth gap, an equity gap, and a lot of it stems from the very beginning of life, and that is in our education system. And so um, these are, are two areas that I think will have a dramatic impact on future generations for, for a long, long time to come. 
And I think they're both relate to our homeland security and our economy as well. And it's important that we look at it through those, through through that lens, so that we can draw more people into our need to address these these issues. And certainly, I think, you know, the righteous demonstration around racial equity that we saw play out in 2020 um, is definitely going to inform uh, the work that we have to do in front of us at the state level, at the national level. And I, I welcome that, and am glad um, that so many people uh, from so many different walks of life have come into this conversation because it's long overdue. You, you know, Governor, it's interesting. When I've heard you talk about race over the last year, I've been, and maybe even over the last two years, if I'm honest, I've been surprised at how comfortable you've seemed. And and I say that not to diminish anyone else, but knowing that that a number of white politicians I've seen before have kind of hesitated or or seemed stressed or somehow seemed uncomfortable tackling that. Is that right that you have felt a comfort um, around tackling these issues? And even if so, what has happened for you in the last year as, as, as a person, as a mom, as a spouse, as a leader? Have any new thoughts on race one way or another? Well, I think, you know, this is, a, this is an important moment in our country. And I think that there are people who want to do the right thing and give speak truth to power and um, be great allies, but some of them don't know how. Some of them are afraid that they're going to make the wrong step and, um, and, and lose credibility. And I have found whether it's with the LGBTQ community or the Arab community here in Michigan, we've got this robust Arab population in Michigan, that it's important to seek to understand so that we can be great allies and advocates and partners. Um, in COVID, one of the things that came into sharp focus here for us in Michigan was the incredible disparity that this virus was having on the black community and on all communities of color, but on the black community in particular. We were able to see that and highlight it because Dr. Janae Khaldun, who's my chief medical executive, is a black woman who also is an ER doc. And she was the first one to look at the data and say, this has a disparate impact on, on my community and we need to get this information out. And so Michigan was one of the first states to release our demographic data. It informed a lot of the work that's happened across the country and been focused on protecting communities of color. And we're really proud of that. My Lieutenant Governor is the first African-American Lieutenant Governor in Michigan's history, Garland Gilchrist. And he's chaired our COVID um, racial disparities task force with Dr. Khaldun. So um, I think that there are allies out there. Maybe they're um, still learning how to be great allies. Maybe um, they're, we can pull them into the, into the cause. But I know that um, the majority of people in this country understand that this is a conversation, this goal, this um, progress that we all need to keep working for is, is long overdue and it's the right thing to do. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Tell me a little bit more about you. What animates you? What gets you excited? Uh, uh, what motivates you? Like if I were a good friend of yours, what would I understand about what motivates you and what moves you? Well, I mean, uh, my family. Uh, I live, you know, just a few miles away from my dad and from my brother during the campaign. My brother drove me all across the state of Michigan for um, me to be in my late 40s when I'm running for governor and him to be in his early 40s. It's rare to be able to spend that kind of time with a sibling. And, and if you do spend that kind of time, you might want to kill them. <laughs> we had the chance to spend that time together. And, and we, we enjoyed it. And it was so nice to be with someone who I know um, supports me and, and who gets me. And uh, so I, my family is what motivates me. I'm really lucky. I've got um, two daughters. I've got three stepsons. I'm still very close to my girl's father. Um, and my husband and, and his ex get along well. So it's really this big kind of unusual um, blended family that, that really works well. I, I like it, kind of a modern Brady Bunch. I, uh, I, I, I always like those. Well, that leads very nicely. You know, one of the conversations I love having on this show, because I'm a romantic at heart, and so I'm always asking people about it, is what people have learned about love. And so what would you tell that young woman who had just finished four years uh, at Michigan State, who's about to go to law school uh, and make it seven, what would you tell her about love? Make, make her a little, a little smarter, a little more aware. What, what would you tell her about love? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, um, I look, I'm fortunate that I can look back on my life and know that every decision, good or bad, and I made some bad decisions in my life, in, in love, in profession, I've made some, some bad decisions, but I've made some great decisions. That, but every one of them got me to where I am now. And I'm in um, a, a wonderful relationship with my husband of nine years and surrounded by my family. And 
in the middle of all the tumult and the hard stuff that's happened this year, from a pandemic to a recession to a 500-year flooding event to uh, you know, righteous demonstration around race to a kidnapping and murder plot against me. In the middle of all that, what centers me is my family. And so keeping family close um, was maybe what I would tell myself, although I don't know if I would need to. <laughs> I, uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I come from a, a relatively uh, big family. I guess everything's relative. I've got three sisters and close to parents and uh, and siblings and first cousins. And I love the idea of driving around with a sibling. Uh, I'm, although, as you said, I'm not sure my siblings would want to drive around with me. But 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 uh, but I love that idea. The whole uh, the whole uh, concept of it there, um, Governor. What has surprised you about politics as someone who's loved it and been in it? Because over the years, I've read great books like What It Takes by Richard Ben Kramer. I don't know if you ever read that wonderful book about the 1988 presidential election. There's a brilliant book called Power by Hedrick Smith which was kind of a magical book from the 80s, which was great. And I'm always curious when I talk to people like you who've had as much success as you've had in politics, I still assume that there's some interesting lessons that if you were writing your own Machiavelli's The Prince or The Princess that you would lay down. What what have you learned about politics uh, now that you're governor, even as someone who had been involved in it as a state senator and state house member? Well, I I think that... um you know, there's probably going to be whole college courses that are studying the year 2020. Um, I'll probably process everything that happened this year in a few years when I have a moment to breathe. Um, But I would say that even in the hardest moments, there are sources of inspiration everywhere if you are intentional about seeing them. And um, that's what sustains us. And I think the other thing would be that anyone in a position of authority or um, uh, of power, uh, your words matter. And uh, I'm always thoughtful about how I uh, communicate and what words I use because I want to be accurate. But I also know that when a governor says something, good or bad, it has ripple effects that I maybe didn't appreciate before I held this office. And so when I give someone a compliment, it's like the best compliment in the world. And if I give someone a little bit of critical feedback, it's the worst criticism in the world. And it's not because I've changed. And it's not because of what I've said is, um, you know, extreme. It's simply because of the office that I hold. And it's important that our leaders remember that. Um, it's a It's a big responsibility. And so if someone's using their platform to sow division or hatred, um, that's that's uh, you know that's a, a choice that they make, but a, one that can be really damaging. And and so I, I think that's maybe a lesson that I've that we've all seen play out in 2020. Have, have you had any quiet conversations with uh, President Trump? You know, one of my favorite gifts I've ever gotten were the tapes of LBJ in the White House. And so there was the LBJ that you knew through the public pronouncements, but then there were the quiet conversations with a governor here, with a civil rights leader there, with a friend or spouse there, with a mentor here. Did you get to have any private conversations with President Trump? And what were those conversations like? You know, I've, I, I haven't spoken with him a lot. Um, we've had a kind of a tumultuous um, run. And 
I did reach out when the dams burst in Michigan uh, because we had a community that was literally underwater, um, people without homes, and it's still in the middle of a pandemic. We had to evacuate 10,000 people in the middle of the night and worry about people you know, contracting COVID. Um, and I reached out and we had a brief conversation, um, but I wouldn't say that it was something that it was, um, you know, overly personal. And I will say that I've had great conversations with my fellow governors um, on both sides of the aisle. These are the people who are grappling with some of the toughest decisions in 2020 and who are on the front line. And I'm forever, you know, I, I will forever look on this year and count that as one of the true blessings of 2020, that I had people with whom I could be very candid about my concerns and my fears and, um, and kind of troubleshoot and, and help them too when they were in the same position. And, and that's something that has been really meaningful because not a lot of people can understand all the different things that, that we're weighing as we confront this terrible virus and make these tough choices. That's actually really interesting to hear you say that because I've heard scientists tell me that as well in the midst of this pandemic, that there's been an unusual amount of collaboration that they've never seen before and that, and that that they hope will persist. Who are some of the governors who you've become close to and you've hopefully been able to trade ideas or at least in some cases, maybe even just encourage? Yeah, so I, you know, the governors from the Midwest, I kind of reached out and, and started talking to early on. Um, when I pulled kids out of school, the first person to call me was J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois. And he said, what do you know? What are you worried about? What are you thinking about? What problems do you need to solve? You know, and, and the problem I needed to solve was with one and a half million kids not in school, half of them were not going to get meals twice a day for five days a week. And that was one of the, you know, the, the free and reduced lunch, um, meeting the needs of, of the children when they weren't in school. When J.B. Pritzker and Mike DeWine, not coordinated, but at the same time, closed their bars and made their restaurants dine out only, I got on the horn with each of them and I said, what do you know? What's, what's, are, what are your scientists telling you? What are you worried about? What drove this decision? And that's just a, a quick example. But as a result of these conversations, we created a more organized, regular dialogue at the staff level and at the gubernatorial level. And it includes um, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and we even let Kentucky join us. <laughs> I bet you they, uh, I bet you they appreciate. It. They have an interesting, uh, relatively young governor there uh, too. Uh, so, uh, so I bet you he appreciated it. Some interesting, actually, political figures. I've had some good conversations with some of the Kentucky leaders uh, uh, down there, and, and Senator McConnell is going to be joining us next month uh, as well uh, on the show. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Governor Whitmer, tell me a little bit about this plot. And in some ways, I I both want to ask you because I think it's so important. And having spent some time uh, with Congresswoman Giffords in the past, I know how how tough a conversation uh, this can be. And so tell me a little bit about the plot. I don't want to make you recount it all, but just for people who may have only heard pieces of it and may not have heard exactly what happened, would you just briefly recap and then explain how it got stopped and maybe just as importantly how you and your family because we can all assume but I'm I, I was I was thinking about you even though I didn't know you but I was thinking about you and your family from afar here uh, when I heard about that yeah so well I got word about this about a I don't know few weeks before it was announced publicly that there had been a group of um, self-proclaimed militia people who I think it's important that anyone who undertakes efforts like this, we call them domestic terrorists, because that's that's what this activity is. Uh, people that had been, uh, in, I think, attending some of the rallies of the Capitol against um, the orders that I've had to issue to keep people safe, had been organizing, and a conversation had been started, and efforts have been made to um, undertake a plot to kidnap me and to take me across Lake Michigan and apparently put me on some sort of a trial and then execute me. Uh, The plot was uh, discovered by the FBI, who had an informant amongst the group, but this group had gone so far as to go up and, on a couple of occasions, uh, case my, the lake house up north. Um, i actually haven't been there in over a year, but that's where they assumed that I would be and where they would be able to to kidnap me. And so they had taken all of these overt acts to do the planning, to get their weapons, to train for this. And um, it was about uh, three weeks before it was supposed to have, before it was announced that the state police came and told me about it. I had unfortunately had to have a lot of hard conversations with my family 
over the course of the months between March and August um, because there had been a lot of death threats, a lot of vitriol online, um, a lot of it exacerbated, I think, by the president's words about me and about my state. Each time I was targeted by the president, the volume of hate and vitriol online went up. And it was very, uh, it, it happened every time. And so this was, um, it's been a hard year for a lot of us for a lot of different reasons. And um, explaining to my kids, you know, why the people on our front lawn are out there with automatic rifles and protesting and hanging likeness of me in effigy um, from a rope. Uh, I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, a very, concerning, uh, damaging, destructive kind of aspect to political dialogue that it turns into extremism and domestic terrorism. So when the plot was announced, um, these men were arrested and um, the charges have been filed and, and that's moving forward. Someone asked me, you know, if they asked me about something that they had read in one of the affidavits and I said, I haven't read all the affidavits. I'm, I'm not going to go down into reading every aspect of this because I've got to keep my head in the game and we are focusing on on saving lives in the midst of this pandemic and I'm just grateful that the state police and the FBI were so great at their jobs and they've kept me and my family safe and we're going to get justice. How if you don't mind me asking and and if it's too much please let me know um but 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 how did your husband and how did your kids uh respond because again for everyone else is something they're reading about. But in this case, this is my mom. This is my wife, right? Like, how did they respond? Were they were they shaken? Was it something they'd gotten used to because of those March through August conversations? Where were they mentally, emotionally, otherwise? I, I think my husband was pretty shaken. Um, you know, to think that, and we know that people don't agree with every action that I've had to take. Um, that's true in every state in the nation. Governors who aren't taking action have got people protesting them too. Um, but this was a whole different level. And I think it really was a shock, especially to my husband. My daughters, uh, they are built like me. They are, um, you know, we have honest conversations. And so they knew that a lot of what's be being said on social media, they have grown a, a little skeptical of it and a little callous to it. And frankly, um, we've always felt very safe because of the state police, our, our security, and um, I've never not felt safe. And I've made sure that they feel the same. And so they took it a little bit in stride, if that makes sense, just because we've had so many very blunt conversations about what's out there, what's being said out there. Um, so they weren't surprised by it. How much of this do you think was tied to gender or what role do you feel like gender played in this? Because again, I had a interesting conversation years ago with Congresswoman Giffords about this. And I've had a variation of this conversation with a, right, with a wide range of people from Secretary Condoleezza Rice to, um, to Secretary Clinton. Um, how much do you feel like gender played a role uh, here in the name calling, in the people showing up with guns, in the even just the idea of a plot? Well, I... I I can only assume and compare my experience to that of my male counterparts. And um, while we've all dealt with um, protests, and some of us have seen our likeness hung in effigy, um, I'm not the only one that that has happened to, the uh, level of 
animosity, the frequency of the um, ugliness that happens just outside of our doorstep. And certainly the seriousness of this plot is unique. And I don't think that it's a jump to uh, suspect that some of it might be because of, of gender. And um, I think that, you know, there are a variety of things that come into play here. But certainly we know that women leaders who take, you know, have tough jobs and make hard decisions um, often will get a, hard, a uglier blowback than male colleagues who do exactly the same thing. Governor, what's uh, what am I likely to see from you next? Something tells me that that you've got an athlete spirit, that you've uh, you've got a competitor in you, and uh, I I feel like I wouldn't be surprised to see you not only in the office you're in today, but consider other opportunities down the road. Is that is that likely? Would you would you consider and be open to other opportunities, be it in a cabinet, be it a presidential run, be it a Senate run. How are you? How are you thinking about the road ahead? Well, I am two years into being the governor of Michigan, and this is the honor of my lifetime. Um, it was, you know, I think a challenge unlike anything anyone could have imagined. But I want to see my state through this moment, and that means through the next two years, of course, and hopefully four more after that. Um, I'll be up for re-election in 2022. But I want to make Michigan the state that bounces back faster quicker and stronger than, than anyone else. And 20, um, there's a phrase called annus horribilis, and it means it's Latin, uh, and it means a terrible year, a horrible year. Often uh, a horrible year is followed by an an, um, annus mirabilis, a miraculous year. That's what I'm hoping for 2021, that that'll get us on a path. And um, you're right, I'm competitive. I want Michigan to be the strongest, most resilient state in the nation, and I want us to lead the world when it comes to getting people on track, back to work, kids back in school, and making this a place that there's real opportunity for everyone. Governor, I, I want to finish by doing a little rapid fire, if you don't mind. Do you mind if I hit you with a couple of quick ones and get a few uh, quick responses from you? Let's do it. All right. Your favorite movie? The Big Lebowski. Oh, my goodness. Didn't expect that. Like that. Love that. Love what that says about you. That's great. Uh, your karaoke song. Oh, I, my mother told me to always um, lip sync. So I don't do karaoke. But, um, I, I mean, you know, Respect by Aretha. Oh, I like that. Okay, keep it, keep it hometown. Keep it, in, uh, uh, keep it in, in Michigan. Who should play you if there was ever a movie of your life which act, actor or actress should play you? <laughs> I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say something without sounding like, you know, I, I have a, a, a lady crush on someone. I don't know. I love Louis, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, but um, she's more of a comedian, and I would need a more serious actor, I think. Oh, but that's a, that's a good choice, though. That's a good choice. I like that. How could, how could you not like her? Um, uh, best bit of parenting you've ever done? What's the If you were giving parenting advice to someone else, what's, what's a piece of parenting advice you'd offer to a, to a new parent? I think it's, you know, just be honest. Be honest with your child. You know, our kids are smart, and they're inquisitive. And if you can be honest with them, they'll trust you. What scares you? What scares me? Um, apathy. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, best piece of advice you've ever gotten about dreaming fearlessly? Because a lot of people 
struggle to dream boldly and fearlessly, much less bring those dreams alive. What's the best piece of advice? You clearly are someone who's dreamed fearlessly. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten or given on dreaming fearlessly? I think it's surround yourself with people who challenge you, who are the smartest people you can find. Um, it, it, I have found that that is um, really good advice. It makes, it makes us sharper, it makes us better, um, and, and it makes us compete and, and do more. And I think all of those are good things. Finally, uh, nicknames. Now, the president tried to bestow upon you maybe not the right nickname, um, but let's try again. Uh, uh, give me a nickname you think that would be a winner that would make you smile. My mom used to say, we love people with a twinkle in their eye. You know, what would, give, what, what, what would, what would bring a twinkle to your eye? What nickname do we, uh, do we need for you? And it can't be the Big Lebowski. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's, it's close. So um, the people of Detroit have bestowed on me a nickname. Um, and and it's, it's with love because of what we've done throughout COVID to keep people safe. And it even inspired a rap song. So it's called, uh, the nickname is Big Gretch. And you know what? I've never really liked being called Gretch. And no woman likes being called Big. But <laughs> because it is said with love, I'm all about it. Do you know what that is hot? I uh, I, I I love it, uh, um, uh, Governor. I, what an absolute pleasure! I've really enjoyed being with you. I have to ask you one more question though, because I realized that I didn't do this, and it would be bad of me if I didn't. I got to ask you about COVID. I, I can't believe I went through this whole thing. I didn't ask you properly about COVID. But 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 help us out. What is the best thing you think you've done, or you've seen other people do? to help deal with COVID, and I realize it's it's not dealt with yet, but what's the best thing uh, that we've done yet? And then more importantly, look forward for us. If we are to get to a better place, what are one or two things that you hope either will happen within states or will happen as a country or even will happen globally? Well, I think the best thing is uh, listening to the smartest people that I can find. Um, it is listening to our epidemiologists and our public health experts and the School of Public Health at the University of Michigan and national experts who I can jump on the phone with every couple of weeks and check in. L I'm not an epidemiologist. I know where my expertise ends and where I need to find smart people to learn from. And in this moment, I think that doing that has put us in a position where we've made decisions that literally have saved thousands of lives. And I'm proud of that. And that's something that's been really um, centerpiece to the work that we've done. Thinking forward, 2021, every month of 2021 is going to get better than the last. In January, more vaccines will start becoming available. We'll have an administration coming in that has a phenomenal COVID plan and COVID team. February, Vaccines will become more plentiful. March, it'll, the weather will start getting warmer, especially here in Michigan. Um, and every month of 2021 is going to get better than the last. And I'm excited about that because this has been a tough year. A lot of people are hurting, um, but we're going to get through this. And, and next year, uh, life is going to get better. We're going to be able to spend more time with our loved ones. And this will be a, a, a distant memory one year from now. Uh, Governor, I love that. I love the Annis uh, uh, Mirabilis. Was that, was that yeah. it? Um, for yep. Miracle? Uh, I, I love that. That's actually really clear. That's really positive. I'm, uh, I'm going to start sharing that uh, with people. I think we all need a good shot of optimism. And uh, I'm just, I'm grateful uh, to you both for what you've done, but also for you taking out time to be with us. So uh, thank you and, and happy holidays. 
Thank you. Happy holidays to you too. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app and Apple Podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.